Hey everybody, welcome to episode 36 of Outspoken. I'm your host, Justin White. And before I introduce my guest today, I wanted to talk about a couple things. Um, my brother, well, first of all, pardon my my snazzleness. Uh, I got a cold for Christmas, and it's hanging on until the new year, apparently. Um I wanted to, well, my brother has been encouraging me recently to uh, to talk more about my music. So, and I hope uh, my guest doesn't mind me doing that here, but he likes music, so I think he'd be into it. Um, I, it's hard for me to promote myself. I don't usually do that. And uh, I love to promote my friends, talk about all of their great work, but for some weird reason, I don't do that about myself. Um, but I'm learning. And I think it's important. So, uh, yeah, all the music on this show, every one of these interludes, unless otherwise stated, uh, is is my music. And I make it for the show specifically in most cases. Um, and in fact, I make it for the specific guest in lots, in all of the recent episodes and as far back as I can remember. I've been trying to cater to the specific person and to the moment in the context of the conversation and to uh, various other factors that uh, all matter to me. But um, so that, so there, these interludes, as I call them are, are meaningful um, for me at least, and hopefully for the guest, and hopefully for you, the listener. Um, and that another thing I don't like to do is uh, sell anything or advertise. And, uh, so I am going to try to keep this show forever advertisement-free unless it's um, friends of mine who have businesses and are, or, you know, are artists or th- things like that because I think you should support the arts and sometimes that costs money too. And I think it's a great place to put your money personally. Uh, so, and I may have things of my own to sell at some point, but, uh, and I'll talk about that at the end of the show because I'm going to, I'm going to talk about Patreon, which is a, uh, very cool um, sort of crowdfunding subscription service type thing, if you don't already know. But uh, anyway, my music is tied to that because I want to I offer my music, these interludes, as downloads someday, uh, hopefully someday soon. And um, that would be like at a subscriber level ab- above the standard whatever minimum one is, which I think is a dollar. Um, Anyway, I'm already getting into the Patreon part, which I've been uh, dreading. But uh, this is the end of the year. It's the last show, last episode of the year. So we've got to talk about what's coming. Um, but anyway, the music. Uh, I love to play guitar, especially, and I, and piano is really fun for me. And all this stuff is just improv. I'm just, I just sit down and I start playing most of it, like 97% or something. A few of them have been worked on a bit more and some of them are like multi-tracks but still improvisations i'll just record it and then record it and then put it together but um and i you know a lot of them are sort of like the conversations they come in midway and might fade out midway and uh but some of them are more complete and uh, i put a couple longer ones in this episode just sort of to show and i think in the last episode too couple sort of full songs I think or they could be anyway I'm rambling as I do as I want to do and uh, I want to talk about my guest Graham McIndoe um, he is uh, well I met him through my brother uh, yet another new friend I met through my brother um, and we talked in New York in my brother's studio which is right next to Graham's and Graham's a photographer and uh, he his photos are amazing. I uh, after we talked, he took some photos of me, and they're the best I've ever seen of me in my life. And uh, I he only he just showed me a few, and and I'm sure uh, the I mean they're really great. You should check them out. I'll give all his info at the end. Um, and so we talked a bit about him and his life and. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, addiction and recovery uh, because that's been a big part of both of our lives. Um, there, he and his wife Susan wrote a book called 
chancers, which you should read if you get the chance. I did not mean to make that pun. You should read it. It's a great book. Uh, They wrote it together, alternating chapters. It's pretty cool. It's it's a nice, it has a nice flow once you get to know each of them a little bit. And um, so I was happy to get to know Graham a bit more. And we did not talk about the book at all, but we talked about some of his experiences and just universal experiences. Um, so if any of that is triggering for anybody, uh, you know, talk of addiction and such, uh, please be warned. The last sort of half of it is uh, talks a bit about that stuff. Um, and talking about addictions, um, I'll just wait for my coffee maker to take its few last gasps. And uh, we'll talk to Graham. I'm curious about your the going you going to shows, rock shows, and punk shows and stuff when you're basically a kid, right? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of lucky enough that my best friend growing up, his two brothers were older than us mm. and were into sort of music a lot. And so we would be hanging around there when we were like 13, 14, and they'd be just when the Sex Pistols and the Clash were first on the scene, you know, and they were playing, buying the records and playing them and got to see the band. So we were subjected to it at that age. We didn't really look like punks and we didn't really know that much about it, but we knew where it was. But by about 1977, we were doing that thing where we were like, it was small town Scotland, you couldn't really look different, but we're starting to like think about dying our hair. But we uh-huh. used to what we used to do is we'd go when we went to concerts. I think I went to my first concert in '78, early '78. So okay. and I went to a few bands in '78: the Buzzcocks, the Clash, Sham '69. And you were 13 or 14 in that. Seven, yeah, 15, 15, 15 at okay. that time. You know, got into it when I was about 14, but in 15 went to see Joy Division and stuff like wow. that. You know, and we were so young, 16 15, 16, 17. It was a huge landmark era for me in terms of seeing bands and being subjected to that sort of stuff and I went for being this kid in Scotland that looked like everybody else wearing mm-hmm. like jeans and a yeah, sweater yeah. and stuff like that to be having bright orange hair and sort of you know PVC like pants and, and, yeah, yeah. and homemade t-shirts uh-huh. and big mohair sweaters my mother would knit for us and <laughs> stuff awesome. like that you know and, and I look back at those pictures now and I'm just like Dude, you were like 16. You look mental. You know? it's and, I, great. and I wondered why people used to look at me twice, you know, and uh, yeah. now I understand it, you know. Cause did you was, did, really? You didn't get why they were. I kind of did, and I like, but, you know, we used to get beaten up sometimes because, because of the heavy metal freaks and people mm, like that. Yep. They just didn't like it, you know, yep. the prog rock people. Isn't that amazing? That's kind of universal in like anywhere the music exists. Yeah. These little clicks. And we kind of aggravated it sometimes. We'd go and antagonize them and run to uh-huh. our friend's <laughs> yeah. apartment. We'd stick the speakers out the window and play like God. Save the Queen or Controlled by the Clash or There's, some other sort of yeah, like yeah. song over. that they obviously really didn't like and then yeah. have to risk getting beaten up every day going back to school for the next two weeks, you know. But it was worth the thrill of... <coughs> yeah, it was the... worth it, you know. I mean, it was a... I mean, I don't know what would have happened to me if I hadn't got into music at that age, you know, in terms of culturally, like, music, yeah. design, photography. There was... It was such a huge cultural movement in Britain at the time, that punk rock explosion, you know, and even the punk, even there was the hardcore punkish thing and then there was a post-punk in the 80s with the New Order and, you know, people like that that had a really brilliant design element behind it and, you know, I think that all that, and I went to art school and the only reason I went to art school was there was cute girls Uh and I really didn't want to work in at that time at very industrial scotland it was coal mines and yeah. factories and other other than that it was working for the local council or maybe even you know working for the civil service the government you know and that's I'd kind of all that's available right? being good at art but having spent too much of my time going to concerts and hanging around in people's bedrooms listening to records i didn't do so well when it came to grades <laughs> right. so i applied to art school but i didn't get in because i didn't have any of the High school things, yeah. So I took a couple of years out and did that at night school, and then went back when I was I went when I was twenty 
And were you yeah. working while you were, like, you took time off from school, but were you working on no, I was, your portfolio? Or you, I was you... gainfully unemployed. Okay. <laughs> Luckily, I could get away with that because it was a time of Thatcherism, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of unemployment Everybody's at that time. On the, the area that I grew for... up in, the central belt of Scotland, was devastated by Thatcher's politics, closing the coal mines, factories, heavy industry, you know, Was that stuff all like at that. once? Like yeah, through her like tenure, not... you know, and wow. so unemployment was really high, so it wasn't the unusual to be unemployed for young people to be unemployed for your father my father was unemployed at that time he was originally a coal miner and the coal mine closed then he worked in a factory that made trucks and tractors and trailers and it closed and then he worked a little bit in some other things then he eventually ended up being a baggage loader at the airport wow. but you know that sort of just working what, class sort yeah. of thing was take what you can get yeah whatever you could get you know and, and that but, just didn't you just knew that wouldn't work for you like yeah i did you know i worked a summer uh haulage company that moves things in uh-huh. big trucks and right. that, that sort of solidified it for me <laughs> when I saw the guys <laughs> working again. there you know 35, 45, 55, 65 and it's clocking in and clocking out yeah. and you know Grown, having, having career opportunities by the clash drumming <laughs> it playing in my head continually I was like hmm, maybe yeah. there's something better and art school seemed pretty good and I knew a guy that I met when I was like 16 or 17 who had a few years older than me and he played in a band and he I became friends with him and he said to me, oh, you should come to a couple of our practices. And then he says, we've got a couple of things going on at the art school. Come to the art school. And I went to the art school and I went to a couple of parties there and I was just like, this is this amazing. Is yeah, Everybody looks brilliant. Everybody, yeah. Brilliant music. The girls are cute. And yeah. it's just like, i got to go to this place. Yeah. You know, so. And I, I eventually you're did. sold. That's better than any was, pamphlet you could have seen. Yeah, I was totally it. sold on it, you know. It was, uh, and I went there and I spent four years. I studied painting, actually. You started with painting? That was my first love, yeah. Really? really before I, photography? Yeah, before photography, huh. yeah. I mean, what kind I'd of always taken photographs and point-and-shoot little cameras with right. my dad's and that, but I never really... And I just did, I was very much into sort of figurative painting, you know, okay. and just, it was a very traditional art school. I went to Edinburgh Art College. It was like drawing anatomy classes, drawing okay. figures, Like all day long you'd be doing yeah, life, all life that drawing. Sort of stuff. Okay. And I got kinda good at it, but I also realized that you had to be more than kinda good. Yeah. You have to there's you gotta there, rise. I can count in my hand the amount of people that in my year that were really good. Really? You know. Yeah, they out were of, really talented and gifted. Out of like hundreds or maybe, well, no, no, maybe dozens, dozens and dozens. Okay. You know, maybe maybe Scores. sixty or something okay. like that. You know. Right. But I could count in my hand the ones that were really good. Those people that could put pen to paper and go like that and just draw yeah. a line and you just think, Wow, that's and, amazing. And where would you have placed yourself in that in that spectrum in the middle yeah quite handily in the middle i could draw and paint but i was never going to be like nobody was going to be wowing over me so Uh which was fine and i think you need to go to art school to find out about yourself i saw people that weren't great in the beginning and then they discovered themselves oh yeah honed their craft and then other people that were kind of good and then they just never rose above that yeah they were were still that so is that you felt that for yourself and you thought i gotta find something that I well, it sort of happened by default. In 1986, I was dating a girl who'd been studying at NYU. She'd done film, and okay. she'd gone back to Edinburgh to do uh, study clinical psychology or something like that as a, as a postgrad. Okay. And she was going to cross. She worked with a guy called Kevin Rafferty who'd made a movie called Atomic Cafe. Oh, yeah. And she'd worked yeah, on yeah. that, and she was she was young. And she's a couple of years older than me, and she says, why don't you come to New York for the summer with me? And I was like, okay, I'll okay. come to New York. Hardly, you know, I'd, I'd gone to London to see bands, but, and I'd been to Berlin once, and that was about it for me. Wow, so and first so time I, in the States. Yeah, and, I and came across... this? I was maybe 23 or something oh, okay. like that. Okay, still and quite so, young. Yeah, so I came across, and I was like, oh, man, I'll, I'll do some drawings and paintings, capture that. It's the 80s in New York. It's pretty rough and ready, you know? So yeah. I was like, I'll capture that New York vibe. Yeah. And I brought a little camera with me. Okay. That I had, and I just took millions, what I thought was millions of photographs, it turned out to be about nine rolls. Okay. But to, it feels you know, like a lot. It felt like a film. lot of the time when you're not a photographer, you know? And it's and I was expensive. Just like to, yeah, yeah, and it was expensive. And I, so I got back and I developed, I, I, I turned up at JFK in the middle of the, like in end of June, beginning of July or something like that, end of June, with like a backpack and a duffel coat and a sweater uh-huh. and a pair of Doc Martens and a pair of jeans and because I'd come from Scotland where it's right. not that hot and it was like it was like 90 I was already about 90 degrees in here and I was just like holy fuck yeah, yeah this is and uh, 
so a, I, she was working impression. most of the time so I was just wandering up to, I wandered up to Harlem walked all the way up to Harlem 125th Street up here went there East Village East River Park Tompkins Square Park I just walked everywhere Yeah, and just, I had just no, to explore you yeah just and I didn't and I'd come back and say where'd you go today and I said I went to 125th Street and I went you went up there yeah why and I just taking pictures every so often now I look back at them and they're, they're pretty interesting pictures yeah you, know you I mean? still have you yeah have I've still that? got a bunch of them that's you know? cool and it was just uh, to Rockaways Coney Island you know wow. yeah, just did you ever get hassled when you were like walking around I didn't get any hassle it's a tiny wee camera and I looked yeah. up probably it was they totally probably thought you were nuts. Were just like, like what's this guy just taking pictures? <laughs> yeah. this, you know, so and so I came back and I processed those, and I was going to have a little exhibition of maybe drawings or paintings from a, you could get that if you've travelled or something yeah. like that. You can apply for an exhibit in the school. Okay. And I thought, oh no, I like the photography. I'm going to do photography. So I had this exhibit of photographs that I took. I had 24 photographs out of nine rolls. Yeah, so, so that's like one got, one out of nine, right? Yeah, so I, I put up the photographs. And I, I was like that gung-ho thing. I didn't know anything about photography or printing. Really, I'd done the basics and foundation course, you know, okay. of how to use an enlarger and print yeah, and stuff like that. get the contrast and right. I'd, and I'd been... I had a little enlarger as well that I used to use in a, in a cupboard in my apartment. Oh, really? Because I'd done a little bit of that before because I used to be a runner and I used to go to running races and photograph my friends with a little camera and then process those films in my bathroom at my mum and dad's and then, then put an enlarger on the sink when everybody went to bed and so in the great. bathroom, put a plank and then developed. Did you have to like put stuff in all the cracks in the doors or, or you just Yeah, just to put and... a blanket up, you know, but yeah. I did it at night time. It was dark, yeah. you know, so I, that's how Make I learned it. And I, but I, it was all self-taught and it was all pretty basic. You, you know? had all your chemicals Chemicals, yeah, you know, little, like three eight tubs by ten and trays little, on top of the, a piece of wood on the bath, you know, and then, and then I, I used to wedge the wooden part of the enlarger under the taps, so it couldn't, so tip, it wouldn't tip, fall yeah. a tip or in like that, and I had a little easel and I'd Beautiful. make the prints, but you know, and, and I printed everything sort of black and white and grainy, and yeah, you know. So. But how'd the show go? How how was it? Well, it, as or? it happened. Um, you know, some people were like, oh, you're a painter. Why are you having a photography show, you know, and stuff like that? But, yeah. you know, I put all these pictures up and people kind of liked it, but I printed them really big, like sort of 20 by 24, grade five paper, really grainy, only okay. black, only like big Xeroxes, basically, you know, because okay. I thought that looked more graphic and everything like that. And I was in my painting studio one day and this guy pops in and he says to me, he says, are you Graham? And I was like, yeah. He goes, is that your exhibition out there? And I went, yeah. He says, well, I'm, my name's Murray Johnson. I run the photography department. And I'm like, I didn't even know there was a photography department. And he goes, your pictures are really good, but your printing's absolutely terrible. Oh, nice. That's <laughs> so he took me to the dark room, which was in this little bit under a balcony, a tiny little photography department. There were like eight people probably. Okay. And most of them were graphic design students. Right. And he gave me a box of photographic paper and he took me into the dark room and he says, you see this picture here? I goes, yeah. He goes, I'm going to show you how to print it. And he printed it on this like sort of fiber-based paper, and he showed me the dodging and burning and okay. the tonalities and how to develop it and paint wow. all that sort of technique of all in one the, shot. The you got like a tutorial. And he showed on me, that. and he, he left me the keys to the dark room over the weekend. He says, "I'm going to leave Practice. you this box of paper." He says, "I'd like to see something similar the next time I come wow. in." And how did it go? Did you, did you? Yeah, I got it pretty down, you know. And then he became sort of a mentor for me. He introduced like right me to other photographers bat. and introduced me to photography books, and you know, just so he saw really, really encouraged me. Right yeah, away. that's great. And so he became quite an important guy. Unfortunately, he died a couple of years later. He, had, oh, he got sorry. cancer and oh, died. A couple of years after you met. A couple of years after I oh, met wow. him. Yeah, but in the meantime, he encouraged me to take photographs. So I did a project in Edinburgh photographing in the street i think most people start off as street photographers because yeah, that's where we are that's, where and that's are, what we're and drawn to so and you can do and, it sort of discreetly yeah, for a while well, i was influenced by robert frank and yeah. Gary winogrand and you know lee freelander and the, the people we get introduced to early on in okay that photographic sort of i only vaguely recognize those names i don't know enough photographing yeah they're sort of seminal history. figures in street photography and american photography in okay. the 50s and stuff i like heard that. The, yeah so, you know that, i got introduced to them and there just so happened to be a show on at the modern art gallery in edinburgh at the time called american images and it was american photography wow from that era mostly really and so i went to look at that and it's like you know kind of like the plagiarist bible you know right like, oh look at all these styles that, that i yeah. could emulate you know yeah. and try and find yourself in the process of growing you know
Well, and also all the aqueducts around here are shit. Like they're right. all made like brick tunnels, 150 years old, right, yeah, underground, yeah. where all kinds of stuff is. They're like jackhammering right next door, doing you know. Yeah. I don't know, man. If there's any kind of like event, any sort of natural disaster, I think many of the major cities are going to be in big trouble. Like a whole bunch of people aren't going to be prepared at all. Yeah, I mean the the infrastructure things, you know, because yeah, if your water goes down all clean drinking water for however many million people oh i'd love the internet to get on for a week uh, i think about that all the time just to see like just to, just see, to see what um, how quickly would the looting begin do you think yeah right <laughs> like a, 10 minutes yeah like, oh, i don't how do, you know people be running to whatever like electricity they could find to plug in something i remember when we had that uh, big flood here was it hurricane sandy and the oh, whole yeah. part of manhattan was that and the like subways loads of places that, oh, yeah everyone yeah. was at, all over the place you know for wasn't it long it was like three days but it was like it's an eternity and <laughs> yeah for somebody <laughs> who's used to weird, like yeah. a 30 second wait at the yeah, most right? three days is is a lifetime people in downtown manhattan were wandering because the power plant down there went off and people were wandering above 34th street to plug in to get power wait yeah. in line that's, to plug in at starbucks that's what I mean, yeah, that's what's that's th that will actually be the top priority. There will be there will be like a grocery store full of water, untouched, right? And people will be in line at the Starbucks to plug in, right? Because they desperately need that, you know, forty percent so they can get to the next part of their life. Right? Know? Yeah, it's crazy. How, how am I gonna it? How am I gonna do what I used to do all the time without thinking about it? How am I ever going to do that again now that I have this phone? I know, phone? I was in a panic yeah. this morning when I woke up and realized I left my phone on the if table and I hadn't charged it and I got up this morning it's got 3% and I had to leave. Right. And then I hadn't charged my little portable battery either that I sometimes have and I'm just like, ah, same, I did how can I leave thing. the house without 3%? How am I going to manage that? I'll, <laughs> I'll switch it off and on just when I need it, you know, yep. but that doesn't really work either and I'm just like, oh shit, you know, yeah. it's like panic mode and I'm we, like, we created this decades in my life was it a phone was it even wondering whether i've got connection it to never people, crossed you know? our but minds Isn't no that, it just seems unfathomable that i can't have access to phoning or texting yep. or emailing or whatever yeah it's like, it's like ludicrous if you don't have it yeah you know, what's wrong with it Why, where's i try to leave my phone in when i go out to restaurants and yeah? movies and cinemas i, I think it's a good practice stuff like that yeah yeah i've been just I, putting it away from me I, whenever i'm at home i just, did it yeah I, I mean i'm bad i gravitate towards it. even when i'm t watching a movie or something i home, did too. Doing, like, i'll just pick it up just, i'll just check my instagram yep. it's like what am i doing you know? i think you're probably and my wife is much better at not touching her phone she'll just be like Knock it out of my hands. Put yeah. your phone away. Or if, she, if I get up in the morning and I look at my phone before I make coffee, she's just like, What's, what are yeah, you doing? Yeah. You know, well, mean, good. I'm glad she's she, there. She's too. not on social media and she's very sort of careful about that. And she'll switch the Wi-Fi off so that she's got no signal and stuff Smart. like that. Smart. Yeah, we need a few people like that to help help with yeah. everyone else who's just like, what's it's next? It's like when what's I go back to Scotland, my mom and dad don't have cable. They don't have Wi-Fi. They don't have cell phones. Wow. They don't have any of that, and they're in a little black zone, you know. It's like yeah. dark, it's dark ages, and you go into it, and it's like, ooh. And you just drink you know, tea by candlelight and talk about yeah, misery, I mean, and that's about it. You know, they do have a TV, but, you know, they've not got any digital yeah. stuff around them. They have three like channels. That, they have no Wi-Fi. They don't have computers. They don't have anything. I, I actually you know? really love like, that. But it's uh, like being off the grid. It's yeah. like we have to walk down to the pub. To get on the to pub's Wi-Fi, check your emails, you know, and send emails and then walk back up again. But that's kind of nice, right? Isn't yeah, it sort of refreshing? Like, all right. It is once you get used to it, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I mean. But that's, I think that's important for people to remember. Like, a, a little effort is not a bad thing. Right. It, it actually will benefit you in a lot of ways. But I do remember when the cell phones first came out and, you know, even when text, when people started yeah. texting, you get charged by syllable, you know. You <laughs> so people, yeah. that's where all those sort of like, are you okay? Yeah, really all that short, stuff was you know, invented like, oh, for really, that. Really, really short, you know, like yeah. that, because you get you have charged. 12 characters. Yeah, right? Go. Yeah, that's that's true. I think all those all those abbreviations of abbreviations yeah, and came I, out of I, that. My cell phone bills and your landline bills with every single call you made and you'd split it up with your flatmates. You yeah, and you get charged for incoming and outgoing texts. Right, yeah. Oh, you sent one? Oh, and you also received one. Right. We'll, we'll pay. You can pay both ways, even though it that's costs right, nothing. I forgot you got both ways. You yeah. Got both ways. Yeah, and it took a while for that to, you know, after somebody, it took a lot of people getting heated up about that for it to yeah. change. But I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying to look at the positive stuff more because I do gripe a lot about the things I don't like about it, and the same with probably any aspect of my life. But I don't think drawing focus to the negative is very helpful. And I no. I mean, I don't. I mean, it's it's kind of easy just to get drawn into the 
negative aspects. And yeah, sort of, super easy. Yeah, for it's, some, it's, not everybody, but for me, it's super, I'll fall right in. Yeah, and it's like we were saying earlier when I was talking about addiction and recovery and some that I've been really sort of trying to focus on is you know because I took a lot of pictures of myself when I was an addict, you know, and I've shown those widely, and you know. I see these photo stories continually about the opioid epidemic and the opioid crisis, and it's like there's only so much of that imagery I can take of people with needles in them and black and white and yep. harrowing sort of grotesqueness and everything like that. And it's like there's a place for it at some point, but then when it just becomes a photographic trope, and also it's stigmatizing, it's demeaning, it's dehumanizing, yeah. and eventually it just you're defined by other people's addiction. I'm defined by the pictures of people as addicts people in Time magazine that are really grotesque, right? Because you also had I a was that or, person, yeah. and you know, and I was an addict, and so that's what addicts all were. Yeah. And yeah, there are low points, but when you continually show the, the low-hanging fruit when it comes right. to image making, you, you define a whole generation of people who are addicts in recovery, trying to get in recovery, the service providers, everybody as that thing, yep. and it really started to drive me crazy you know and it's that negative aspect every everybody who uses drugs is all fucked up yeah you know and i, I i'm just gravitating away from that and, well you know, every so single one of them is also a human being and, they're and, also a human being as well and you don't know what they went through to get there and what they're trying no to go idea. through to get away from that you know and, and you don't have any idea what anybody's story is like right if you can remind yourself of that when you're walking down the street like and even when you get the stories that sometimes in some of these magazines and articles that you see in the media you know it's like you're showing a picture that's a lot of the time really demeaning, I think. Yeah. Really, really demeaning. It's dehumanizing. Like, um, and the thing is, it, it goes right back to the internet again. It's like, once those pictures are up there, they're up there forever. Yeah. And that person's defined as that person forever. And it also You rebuild is, your life, you get a job, you get your yeah. kids back in your life, and then somebody finds it on the internet, reposts it, it, and you're again. fucked. Yeah. And that's the reason why and when it I spawns took, a whole another generation of people doing that style yeah, yeah. of like, oh, look at that. Look, yeah, ooh, look it's graphic. That. It's gritty. Yeah, Let's do yeah, that. It's, you know? it's like a junkie porn. Yeah. Like, and you then know? you start a whole new wave of like, because that yeah. always plays out into this like big avalanche. Because I took a lot of pictures of other addicts around me when I was doing drugs and I choose, chose not to exhibit them or show them eventually after looking at them and weighing it up for a long time because I felt... Some of those people were dead. Some of them had got clean and tried to get their kids back in their life. Some of them were trying to get jobs, and I just didn't. I just didn't feel it was my right it's to put their to image them, up yeah. there because people find shit on the internet all the time. Yeah, people yeah. for years ago, and they're yeah, just like, you for dude? It. Yeah, you know. And so, you know, what I've, on that message of positive things, I. I've been trying to photograph people in recovery lately, you know. Nice. Portraits of people in recovery, get their stories of recovery, what, you know, what their pathway to recovery was. Cool. And there's a multitude, whether it's like harm reduction or just white knuckling. A million different ways, yeah. A million different ways, you know. Buddhist, Buddha. yeah, court mandate, yeah. Buddhist meditating. An epiphany you know, overnight. Yeah, yeah, there's all sorts of different ways, you know. And, you know, just focusing on what were those different pathways so that, you know, we can start showing that people do recover. Yep. There are a lot of people out there living in recovery, long-term, short-term, abstinence-based, non-abstinence-based, yeah. but they're in recovery. Yeah, yeah. They're not the person they were that was in that debilitating state, right? I think that's a really you know, good distinction and, to make because the, the word recovery does not have to be defined only by a 12-step program or only by one way to do it. Like yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's got its place, and if it works for some people, it works, it's, that's fantastic. Right. But, you know... But it's like because you're like, an extreme heroin addict or crack addict doesn't mean that you should never be able to have a beer or a wine. No, or, it doesn't mean you're an evil, small, you know, evil person either. You know, you're not yeah. a monster. So from, I think that we need all need to understand that there's a recovery for me is different for recovery for you or this person or that person or another yeah. person. You know, and whatever one works for you, as long as it's working. Right, and you have to be honest you know, about that. And you have to be honest with yourself. That's, that's a bigger that's part the biggest of recovery part. is being honest.
You know, I think engagement, social engagement, sharing stories, whether it's in a 12-step program or other programs I've been to, Smart Recovery, Buddhist Recovery, whatever. Just good, I've been to them all, friends. and they all have that same structure of, let me tell you about me, let me listen yeah. to you, and let's share stories and see how far we've come. And, and, and you know, not only support each other, but be proud of each other for yeah. making those steps, because it's not easy. No. And not. when people fall off... I feel so bad for them, you know. It's like I've got a friend who's fall, who's fallen off recently, and uh, she, I'm trying to drag him back in, you know. And it's like there's that mentality that once I'm off, I'm off to the races. Yeah, you know. And it doesn't have to be like that. And that is hard because, um, you know, I've I relapsed a bunch of times when I yeah. was, you know, I tried to get clean, I tried to white knuckle, I tried to do that. But I was always of that me- that mentality that it's just about getting it out your system. Oh, right, right. I just need to detox, and I'll do the rest myself. Okay, which is totally the detox, and as painful as it was from heroin, it's the easy bit compared to the other bit that I was saying. I'll just do that myself yeah, because, yeah. of course, you can't really do it yourself. No. You know, you well, need the, somebody to guide you through. You need peer support. Yeah. You need a, you need something. You know, yeah. because otherwise, for me, it was that I'd get clean. I'd kick, I'd get clean, I'd be like five days in, seven days in, ten days in, and then that big dark cloud would just sink into me yep. of who I was, where I'd been, what I'd done, what I'd seen, how could I deal with it, the lies, the manipulation, yeah. the untruths, you know. And you already all had... sink into me. And then, of course, your system has been depleted like... of the ability to produce dopamine or endorphins, so you don't even know how to make yourself happy or, or even positive yeah. because those things are so reduced in your system because your life, for me anyway, everything I did, sleeping, eating, sex, yeah. food, everything was dictated by... Your next fix. You, my next fix, yeah. you know, smoking crack or doing dope. So when that was out of my system, my body didn't know. It's not like restarting a computer. My body didn't know how to produce... Dopamine. Yeah. You could have stuck me on the most beautiful beach in Hawaii, having sex with the most beautiful woman in the world, and throwing hundred dollar bills at me, and I'd still have been miserable and <laughs> yeah. depressed because I could not produce the fuel good. Amazing. Yeah. Chemicals. At that point, right. I can now, but it takes a while and it comes in waves. Yeah, yeah. And I remember. so you gotta be able to deal with that, you know, because and you need when help. The, you need support. The wave, you the... can feel really great one day, and when you go down, you have to level yourself back yeah. up again it's, it's it's complex and it's difficult and you just can't do it on your own i don't think i agree or it's the rare person that can yeah well that i mean the metaphor that i used when i was first learning about my own i had that same tendency where like i'll just I'll, i know that i have a problem but i'm going to fix it i know i know what to do and i and even when i knew that i didn't know what to do i just accepted that that was my fate then right I was like okay well now i'm just a fuck up or i'm an addict and that's what's going to happen now. And I guess I'll live with this certain level of shame or whatever. But what I discovered when I was in there, you know, meaning in recovery, I did do the 12 step right. model. Um, and it worked for me. It saved me. It's, right. you know, I was going down the wrong, a very dark path and I'd sort of chosen it. I'd accepted right, right. like, all right, I'm a piece of shit. I'll just go, I'll just be that. I did and as well. You know, yeah. you, you given it, you know, yeah, and then who cares after that? Right. And then you can do whatever you want, but, right. but you still feel like shit and, yeah, you, yeah. and you amazingly can continue to feel worse than you thought, you know, I thought right. this was as bad as it gets. Right. Well, wait till this feeling settles in, <laughs> but, and it, it's just misery. But, um, what was I going to say about, uh, uh, oh, I was going to say that, like, what I the way that it occurred to me is that you can't fix your your broken brain with your broken brain. Like, you can't right, use yeah, your yeah. own like sort of messed up system to fix that system. Right. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You need you know? an outside influence. I tried it a lot of times. Perspective. Yeah, me too. I tried a lot of times. Because my lots ego, of, your ego doesn't want back. You, you yeah. think you got this? You know, that was always mine. I was in denial. I was like, yeah. Even though I was like. I was such a mess. Yeah. Such a mess. Like everybody now, else knew it. I hadn't it. spoken yeah. to my parents in years. I hadn't yeah. seen them in years. You know, I'd lost contact you with my a, son you practically, son, you know. And I was still in somewhat denial. Even though I knew where I was, I lived in the fucking projects. Yeah. You know, I was doing crack and heroin for the moment I woke up to when I went to bed. If I went to bed. Right. I'd keep it rolling for, for days. days. And, yeah, yeah. You know, all that sort of stuff, you know. But I still had this thing that, I can fix this myself, you know. And then when I gave in like you, I just gave in to it, you know. Some people, you get that thing where people say, you know, I give in, it's too big for me, I'm going to find recovery. I just gave in and said, fuck it, I'm an addict, that's it. You know, and that's just, that's the way it's going to be. How Uh can I get out of this, you know? And in some ways, getting arrested and incarcerated 
saved my life. Yeah. It's not a popular way to say that, but nothing was helping me. Yeah. I was going to needle exchanges. I was doing this. I was around this, that, and the next thing. But nothing was stopping me going down this really dangerous precipice right. of addiction and shooting up multiple times a day and buying drugs for dodgy people. And, you know, and that's... It's amazing that you sustained it as long as you did. Yeah, and you sustained that. Like and a, then I get arrested and I get sent to Rikers Island. And I'm like, wow, this is the worst thing that's happened to me. And I'm thinking, and then, you know, when I spoke to my son on the phone, he's gone, I'm so glad you're in jail because now at least I know you're not going to die. And that sinks into you like a yeah. rock, you know. And then when you, when I met my father and my father said the same to me, he goes, I'm not happy you're in, you went to Rikers Island, he says, but I'm happy that you weren't on the streets because I went to bed every night thinking you were going to OD and be found dead in a doorway. Mm. And when that sinks in to you, that, that the collateral damage of my addiction, how the effect it had on family and friends and yeah. people who loved and cared about me and yeah. close friends of mine for years that was really hard for me to get over it was really it dawned on me because in your addiction you're on a, you're a level of awareness and cognitive sort of yeah. ability to see what other people are seeing and thinking and suffering is non-existent you have a narrow but, scope yeah, yeah but when you come out of it and then I found this in the amends uh -huh. when I went to make amends to all these people or as my wife called it my apology tour <laughs> I and like I went that. to all these different people and you know some of them were pretty vocal about it yeah. Some of them weren't. Some of them were like, oh, I accept you back. I'm just so glad you're all right. And then some of the people were, well, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you Here are all the ways you yeah, fucked me. Yeah, all the ways you. And, and I, didn't didn't even... I didn't like rob my family or no. got and hold people about gunpoint or anything. But in some ways, I was kind of worse. I did it to my. I manipulated my dad's. Like your closest. Sympathy. People. Yeah, yeah. You know, I told lies to people about things. Yeah. I used situations to my benefit that. We're very manipulative and lying, and yeah. and those are harder for people to trust. It's true, you know. But I, isn't it interesting that like, I, it just occurred to me while you're saying that uh, to me the difference is that you're like you're a kind-hearted person. Like you're, I I can sense from you like you're somebody who, you know, you're not looking to do harm. That wasn't no. that wasn't your goal. So you're not somebody who goes and robs and shoots and whatever indiscriminately. But isn't it interesting that that like the the sweetness of your heart ends up being mutated into the like the more manipulative version of yeah like instead of just being and a also dick and i like, was around i don't care what you think let's face it i, I was around criminality a lot yeah i'm sure people you had who plenty were of robbing and stealing and yeah. had guns and did yeah. all that sort of stuff and also let's be honest i was a, a, you know buying and selling drugs is a criminal activity right yeah, yeah. or being around drugs yep. class a drugs is a criminal activity yeah especially when you have so a when record. you're gonna and you've got a bad habit and you're gonna and you're buying heroin or crack three four five times a day and you don't really give a fuck about it it's yeah. not like the first couple of times where you get a big buzz and a thriller and you go yo i met this dude i got this yeah. you sneak away and you relish it and everything like that it becomes like buying a cup of coffee at Starbucks. pretty quickly yeah very quickly yeah. And, and you forget that what you're doing is you, you you're committing a crime whether you know and the criminality of addiction is a whole different conversation right you know, about you but, know but you actually do forget but you do forget that yeah. you're doing something that in the eyes of society is a criminal activity and you're doing it multiple times a day because it's so and it's then you're pissed habit. when you you get arrested and then you're thinking well i guess i was I, sort yeah, of in the wrong i'm kind of amazed i only got arrested 16 times in 10 years and now, <laughs> like you know more yeah, often you know, you know so you know true. but you do and your level of acceptance of these sort of things that the real normal or sensible you would just you think was so over sorry. was just completely ridiculous yeah you know you just go along with it. this thing that you're going to these dodgy neighborhoods to buy drugs off of people you've never met before or jumping in cars with drug dealers who drive you to places yeah, yeah. to meet other guys who've got guns who've got bags of drugs <laughs> and you're just like yeah whatever just give me what i want so yeah. i can get out of here and it's just like what makes you think that's okay and it's because you know your dependency is so big you yeah know, and you're, well our brains are also like perfect justif justification machines yeah. like it's just ready for an you know it's got an excuse at the ready and it's like your survival time. the only thing you need to survive i don't really need food i can go without that i don't really need yeah. sex i can go without that i don't really need to somewhere to stay i can go without that but i do need dope i do need the dope yeah and it's, so that's and i your, know where to get it and yeah. unfortunately it's in this really shitty part of town where it's yeah. like scary to come and go but yeah and i, I became very comfortable about yeah. being around neighborhoods that 10 years previous i would never step yeah. in you know well and you do become friends with yeah and, you become that friends. You and i'm still friends with a lot of those people and some of those people are in long-term recoveries now and i'm yeah. very very friendly with them and i've photographed and interviewed them for my recovery project and it's like it's 
so awe-inspiring to me that people pull this out. And I'm talking about people that have grown up in trauma, yeah. in the projects, poverty, Yeah, violence, they had every, everything stacked against them. Yeah, got everything stacked against them. And, and they still make it somehow. And they've, still, and they've got clean living in the lion's den. You know, yeah. That to me is like amazing. It's super inspiring, yeah. Really, really. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's really cool that you're sharing that for people because I, I think people need to get it once and for all that the, the title addict does not like black mark you forever. It doesn't make no. you some awful creature that's going to go destroy everything in its path it's just that you're you're struggling and in pain and you don't have the tools yet yeah. to, to help yourself that's all that's all it yeah. is really it's like it's a psychological twist in your and mind and it's very it powerfully you, insidious it it's incredible in yeah it's a and motherfucker it digs in really yeah, once it's, its claws are in there and once ugh. it affects your mind you become really belligerent and so uh, it's it it's, becomes priority number one yeah. in front of any other synapse in there. It's crazy. Like it just jumps to the front of the line in every situation. I mean, I that have empathy for everybody it. who's in recovery or even and Same people here. who are addicts and everyone and what they're going through because I was that guy who had a career and money and an apartment, yeah. and a car and a wife and Your a kid. Freaking and house I was like, blew up. And people <laughs> said to me, "Yeah, you know, oh, you better watch. You're using too much. You better be careful." And I was around other people who were using who, and then eventually I realized that these guys that I thought were big users were looking at me, going, "Dude, you better reel that <laughs> shit in." And yeah, I'm you going, just what? What you, you just lapped about? us. You know? on yeah, you just lapped us a few times. don't want to talk about it yeah like they don't know how people are going to react to it yeah what did you do where did you go wrong why is your kid why is he what happened to him was he abused yeah did you do something wrong yeah you know none of that was the case in mine you know mine started just partying but But any that's great the other thing i want to say was those little issues that everybody has insecurities Mm. jealousies every single human all those other things that normally in everyday life you get they come up and you put them down they pop up and you put them down every so often you deal with it because you're right if you if you have a healthy but the minute you're fucked up and you've got all that (laughs) that shit comes bubbling to the top like a fucking volcano and you can't put a top on it so that tiny wee insecurity about something in your past that you never thought twice about can become massive yeah. in your addiction. And so you might not have had issues, but it creates issues and that becomes a mental health thing. And then you become sort of anxiety ridden, depression ridden, right. angry, all these other things that you have yep. to deal with that bubble up to the top. That's what I found. There was things that yeah. I never thought twice about in my past, <laughs> but suddenly because that- all my chemicals have been changing my mind and I was now in addiction those things came up they made me angry they made me point fingers at people and point fingers at this yeah blame and this all these other factors just to take it away from you yeah that's that's projection that's just like a psychological like i made my safety measures like i I made susan uh project when i was an addict and we were off and on until she left me because of my addiction we reconnected when i was in prison but during our relationship i did that with her and i was deeply ashamed about it you know it's you not me yeah, you're making me like it's a horrible thing uh, to do to anyone. Yeah, it's a really despicable thing. But we do it as addicts because we don't know how to take blame and we don't want to admit yeah. it, and so we project onto others. Oh, it's you. It's this. Yeah. It's that. It's never me. No, it's never me. I'm only. Oh, it's me. Leave me to do what I'm doing. No understanding. Your father's having sleepless nights and your son's yeah. crying and this and that and the next. But thing, you're you know, the misunderstood yeah, one. Yeah, but you're you know the, nobody gets me. Yeah, that's you know that that's, ego thing. You know. It's a tricky little, it's a tricky yeah. little bastard who hangs yeah. out on your shoulder yeah, and right. like whispers these little, little yeah. enticing. Why don't you try this? You've never done. Yeah. You've never, you know, you've never tried this particular right. version of being shitty in the world. Yeah. Like, why don't you try and see how that feels? Right. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so crazy to me that our brains are supposed to manage all the input 
that's coming at us all the time. Right. And if you have a dysfunctional family on top of that or any any sort of trauma, which almost everybody does everybody has, at some yeah. point, then you got to work your way back from that. Like right. we're not really starting with all everything we need. We we start with a little bit of a, a handicap and we got to right. find level ground. Not everyone, but right. some some people just were I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's you were dealt this hand or what I don't know who's behind it, you know, cosmology has something right. to do with it or who knows but when you don't know how to look at yourself you can't you're never going to find what the you're never going right, to find yeah. any part of the source of the issue yeah i mean that's why in recovery i think that you know counseling therapy group counseling sharing conversation community all the whole lot really yeah. important a shared it's a cliche but a shared burden is an easier burden you know it's like yeah the more you can share shit and people relate to it and tell you you're not alone yeah it, it helps so much it helps so much one you know? other person because addiction's is, lonely even in a crowded 20 a room with 20 yeah, other yeah. people addiction's lonely. you can isolate in yeah, a, in a very crowded in huge, room huge huge ways you know well that's a big part of the the new science about addiction is that it has to do more with isolation right. th than anything else really it's not about the substance i mean we've it's starting to be talked about more in terms right. of behavior than it is this specific substance but now there's this scientist talking about like it's really just about being engaged with your fellow social right. animal like we need it we need to right. have each other in some sort of intimacy we need right. to have some sort of connection or we don't feel right we don't feel human we don't yeah. feel like alive in the world and that hurts so we look for a painkiller you know yeah and there are a lot of them there are plenty to you yeah, know there are everywhere plenty, you look you know, we live in a country of uh, over medicated yep or you know if you if you like to jerk off or you right. like to shop yeah, yeah, or yeah. gamble or whatever you know yeah you all got that it we well, got it yeah. all for you any flavor and you know all around the clock <laughs> yeah so it's a lot to fight against but i think it's a good fight i think we're you right, know yeah. i think we're engaged in a in a meaningful battle for good for right. for the sake of our fellow it's not it's not person. a path i would have chosen for myself if somebody me, said me here's three routes for your life yeah i wouldn't choose 30s, it for anybody i wouldn't i wouldn't have chosen to go down that no one way, no. but i did go down it and i'm not going to be ashamed about it and i'm not going to you know, cut myself up about it anymore Good, than yeah. I have done. And I'm going to, and I've learned so much from it. Yeah. You know, I've learned so much. I lost a lot, but I've learned a lot. Yeah. You know, I lost financial shit. You learned more. And I, and I more upset a lot of people, but I learned and I've, and I think I've made amends enough to those people. And re, I think some of my relationships are even better now I was gonna say, than they were previous because say. of how open I've been about it and how I've made that amend yep. to show. That you care, that and you're I thinking care about and it. that I've sort of, you know, that that person means something to me right. to, to do that. So, you know, I really think that, you know, taking the positive, as we were talking about earlier, right. taking the positive for a bad experience, and that's what I've really tried to do throughout. And come out of the shadows and talk about it to everybody and anybody, and not be ashamed about it, and not be guilty about it, that's, and not make excuses for it. It's I like, think that's the it first It is what place. it is. It happened. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, that's how you strip away the stigma. You yeah, have, like somebody has to be brave enough to just stand up and say, "Well, I did it. I know yeah. I fucked up, but I admit right. it, and let's move on." Yeah, because what else are you gonna do? Yeah. yeah, you can sit and harp on that all you want, but I'm I'm gonna move on. Like that's yeah. and that was for me the hardest part is like how do I how do I move past my own self criticism and you know just forgive myself enough to, to move on enough to forgive other people. You know? Right. Yeah. And I was able to make amends. I made some really difficult amends to people who I had harmed and did not want to go back to, you know, talk about that stuff. Yeah, once you've made that amend, you don't want to fuck up and have to try and do that again. Cause second time around, people don't believe you. Yeah. 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 You can't cry wolf you know, more than once. Yeah. And, and I'd done that with saying I was getting clean and lying about something. Yeah. You burned already. a few bridges, burned a few yeah, bridges yeah. and closed a few doors. So to right. reopen those doors and rebuild those bridges was such a mammoth thing for some people. Right. You know, and, and with your hand open, sort of, you're kind of like, yeah. I don't really and have much. And then I had a few people who didn't accept an amend at all. And they just isolate. Yeah. Whatever. See ya. Yeah. You know, and that was kind of tough. And I put it on me for a while and I was just like, and tried to niggle away at trying to get yep. it. And I was like, you know what? I've done my piece. That's on them now. And that was yeah. a, that's know, a hard one. It's hard, yeah. you know, because you sort of feel you've done all this work and you want them to understand and believe. But if people are not prepared to, to get over it, it yeah. then that's on them. It's not on me because I've done all the hard, heavy lifting, as it were. Yep. You know? yep. And, you know, I had a couple of those. Yeah, me And too. not even people that I thought I offended the worst. That's a weird thing. Me you too. Know? But same, it's it same. was like, hey, <laughs> that's on them. You know, I, 
Yeah. Hey, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. Good. You know? Well, if you can get to that point, you're doing yourself a huge favor just right. to say like, uh, I can't kick myself anymore. No. Like, why does it can, you know, it hurts it's and it doesn't. It's counterproductive. You yeah. Know? It's just, uh, absolutely counterproductive. You know, like it's, I can can't only be around one. too much negativity. I have to remain positive. Yeah. I have to see the light before the dark, you know, and it's just, I'm trying am, like that's yeah. a, I, the dark has always sort of showed up first for me, but right. I, but I feel the light more yeah. strongly. Like I resonate with, the, with the good light stuff. So I'm, right. I'm having to just sort of push it back in front a lot. And actually doing this podcast has really helped. I, I'm by, because I'm speaking out loud yeah, regularly, you're, out loud, you're engaging, you're allowing other people, you're yeah. hearing other people's stories, but I'm making my, process, I'm like yeah. making mistakes publicly, you know, I'm using right, right. the wrong word in a sentence or I'm saying stuff about my past that's sort of embarrassing or what, you know, and I'm okay. Right. I think that's actually really helpful for people yeah. who also want to do that. They want to feel permission to, to have a, make a mistake, not be criticized for it. Yeah. So I'm going to just say right off, you know, I made a whole bunch of mistakes and some really stupid, you know, ridiculous ones. And it's okay. I'm still here. I'm okay. The people who love me still love me. The people I love, I still love, you know, it's, it yeah. doesn't have to be the end of the world or, or any kind of like sentence like, uh, you know, and that's, that was ultimately why I think I left the 12 step model is that I didn't want to keep saying I'm an addict. I'm an addict. I'm an yeah, addict. Every time I spoke, yeah. cause I'm, cause talk about like reinforcing the negative. Yeah. If you identify as that over and over all the time, you're yeah. kind of shooting yourself in the foot in, in a way. Yeah. I have that same feeling as well. You know, I didn't want to keep labeling myself like that. Yeah. I, I want to, a couple of other things, you know, about, you know, there, it wasn't just that, but, it, but that started to get on me and, and well, Actually, more than that, I think it was just the behaviors that I was seeing in the like when I saw people with thirty years clean doing some shady stuff. Right. Yeah. That I was disheartened and enough to be like, it's it happens here too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Got to go. I mean, <laughs> Got to go find another. But I, but I'm very very happy with what I learned in recovery about yeah, myself. Yeah, as well. You know, about I learned a lot from CBT. I, I learned world. a lot from you know the yeah. steps. And, and I'm still a, using. I'm still learning and using yeah. those tools. And, and I learned other little things for other people. You know. And, yep. You know, I mean, it annoys me sometimes when I meet former A people who say to me, "You don't go anywhere. Oh, you're dancing. You're oh, it's only a matter of time." You know. Yep. And the most amount of people I know who've relapsed actually have been people who've been in the program and know, but then people who've no, but it's true. you know, it's just you know, I don't think it's. I just go back to there's no one size fits all. No. What works for them doesn't work for me. What works for me doesn't work for them. And this yep. person's different for that person. My upbringing and experience and addiction was so totally many different factors. Somebody else's, yeah. you know, and yeah. You know, How could it? How could any of just belief is different or non-existent or whatever you know yeah. it's a whole multitude of things you take what you want yeah i i like to say if there was a four-step program it would work for me because there's only four <laughs> that really really resonated with me you know which, which four for you the the uh, first well one now what, you said you said you didn't really well, do the one surrender thing under it when i'm on drugs yeah yeah but it sort of flows into powerlessness yeah the language is, feeling, is you know, tough language. but the making amends was by far the biggest one for same, me same same you had know, to do in it in the inventory yeah there four and two. nine you yeah, got to do them nine, yeah yeah without but and the other ones are all sort of foundational yeah to, foundational to that. Ones, but those, even just those two alone if you can do those yeah you're yeah. way yeah. there you know that inventory is fucking painful man. <laughs> you're not kidding yeah you dig deep into that and it if gets even worse i know you're like oh like, shit really Are, that as well yeah and if you you're know, and, and if, it's like that fearless inventory is just like you do that and then from that the amends come because you have to i've read the list of other people yep. and everything's like i've now acknowledged that, that i did these things finally yeah you know yeah, and yeah. i went to britain and other countries to, yeah. to make amends to, to go and see people it's great you know it's really powerful I think whether they receive it or not in that moment right. I, th I think they get it they get what and you just did you know terrified fuck yeah it's so scary when I went to meet my parents who I hadn't seen in several years and hadn't spoken to yeah. apart from on a prison fucking phone right right prison letters <laughs> and I got to see my wee mum and dad in Scotland and they're waiting yeah. for me at the airport and I'm uh, racked with guilt and I can't sleep on the flight and I can't eat and I can't think and I'm like terrified Yeah. and I want to cry and I want to just get on the next plane that goes back to me yep. and say fuck yep. it I can't do this even though I've been speaking to them on the phone and they know yeah. and everyone like that but they've only ever seen me as a mess yeah well I hear your previously face. like that yeah. I've gone back to detox ones that didn't work and I had a seizure mm. and I relapsed and I got on a plane and left them crying it was horrible stuff and I'm on that plane going back to make my amends and do my thing with my parents and my brother and my sister yeah. and my 
That takes courage. Son and yeah. he, all this sort of stuff. And I'm terrified. Yeah, yeah. And but I'm you walked totally into it terrified. anyway. And I, I, yeah, and I, that's and what you have so to do. Un, it was so uncomfortable for the first few days. Right, being but in their apartment, and you know. But what was the what was the end? Uh, you don't you don't have to tell me about each one, but I I imagine that the reward was the reward bountiful. Yeah, and, it took a while. My mum took longer than my dad. My dad was my, yes, just so relieved. Yeah, so relieved. Yeah, yeah. Whereas my mother, who is much more insular and less sharing emotionally, it took longer to yeah. you know and didn't want to talk about it and right. was like, okay, that's fine. Right. Right, okay. again, you know, yeah. not really taking it in. And a big thing for me as well was when I had my exhibition at the National Gallery in Scotland in my addiction mm. photographs and my text and everything like that that went wet. And I did a big talk there. Oh, wow. That was totally sold out. And all these people became friends of mine from when I was a kid. Wow. So you really. And nephews <laughs> and cousins. Talk about an and, exposition. And my mum and dad came to see it. And my dad had seen the photographs. My mum had sort of seen a wee bit of it. Didn't want to see them magazines yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And I took them to the museum and the curator gave them a little tour and left them there to oh. look at it. And it's hard, you know, the yeah. photos are rough. Yeah, they're not totally graphic, but they're just but it's what they son. say in it's the your text. Baby. It's yeah. your baby that you're looking Everything at. Everything about them is just like, you know. But my son was instrumental in me actually putting them out there because I sat with him and said, I've got these photographs, what should I do with them? And I was really? in early recovery and I said, New York Magazine wants to publish them, The Guardian wants to publish them. Who do you think would you be upset if you're? He's still at school. He's at college. Yeah. And would you? Would, yeah. would your friends? Do you feel that would stigmatize you? Would you be upset by right. this? How do you feel? And he goes, "I'm really proud of you, Dad. I think you should do it." Oh, that's amazing. That's and really that beautiful. That was the catalyst. I put them out in New York Magazine. Yeah. The Guardian Magazine showed them. Then the a couple of years later, the National Portrait Gallery wow. bought them all and of exhibited all them. Yeah, beautiful. And so when that's... my parents came to that talk, and what I did at the talk was. I didn't just talk about my addiction. I talked about growing up. I talked yeah. about art school. I talked about music. Right. I talked about so addiction. So it's not just this one. And I talked about recovery. So the whole trajectory is important. When we talk awesome. about our addiction, we have to add that whole. Yeah. Arc. First, yeah. you have to explain. Like it started yeah. somewhere else. It didn't start yeah. with this. You know, that whole arc of being, not being defined only by your addiction. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. that moment in your life, Isn't that defined crazy? by your childhood and your early adulthood, and or whatever, yeah. and your addiction, and then your recovery, and then things that are important to you, where you are now. Right. That that was important to me, and so when I put that whole trajectory in there during this talk, and I had slides and pictures, and, and everybody my saw mom and dad it, and me as kids, right through <laughs> wow. Clash concerts, right through pictures of my addiction, then recovery, and me at school teaching, and me being a photographer, and, and then being get, married, and being married, never. Yeah. That resonates with people because they understand you're human yeah you can't you've yeah, got all yeah. these other aspects there's a bit in it that's about addiction that maybe never affected them or maybe yeah. it did affect them because the amount of people that have also come to me and said i've not really told anybody of this but mm. my son my dad yeah, yeah, me, yeah. my sister Everybody, whoever everybody's got somebody. has been this and I, you know and when you can open that door to a conversation that people would never normally have yep it's a kind of amazing thing. You might have changed the whole trajectory for like an entire family right. and all of yeah. their friends. You might have saved a hundred people, like yeah. a whole bunch so of the, the whole opening up and talking and sharing and I think allowing people to engage in that conversation yeah. is crucial. I think, I think it's a huge part. Yeah. It's a huge part, you know. Good. Well, here we are doing it yeah. in real time. All right. All right. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks. It's great to have you. a lot for listening everyone that was my new friend Graham McIndoe I hope I'm pronouncing his name with some justice uh, it's Scottish and I'm not so um, I mean I might I am a little Scottish but not not as much as him uh, so anyway it's spelled his first name is Graham G-R-A-H-A-M and his last name is capital M little a little c Capital I, little N D O E, Macindo. So uh, check him out at grahammacindo.com. Uh, he's also on Instagram at grahammacindo. Uh, beautiful photographs, really great person, great guy, fun to talk to. And I uh, hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, 
Oh, and also go uh, read the book Chancers, written by Graham and his wife, uh, Susan Stellan. It's a really good read, and um, you'll get to hear a little bit more about the craziness that goes on uh, with addiction and all of everything that it encompasses. Um, so, I mean, again, I hope you enjoyed the music, and as I was saying earlier, um, I'm going to set up a Patreon site, which is a place where you could support me and the show Outspoken, uh, and it would be a way that, you know, it'd be a sub, uh, monthly subscription, as low as a dollar a month. Um, first of all, the show will forever be free. The, ep- the regular episodes are always going to be free. That is my vow to you. Well, as long as the world continues as it is, I can't make too many promises, but, uh, you know, the way that it's free right now on iTunes, it's free on Spotify, uh, it's free at my website, outspokenpodcast.com. It's going to remain free like that, all the episodes with the guests, my guests, and um, but all of the extra stuff, which will be like Hypocrite's Corner and this other segment I'm developing right now, and some of the other special stuff, and maybe some music downloads, and maybe some merchandise, you know, if you want a shirt or a a sticker or a tote bag, things like that. Uh, They'll be offered at a different tier, like a slightly higher subscription level. But I'm going to keep it all cheap. I'm going to keep it affordable and for the people. I'm not looking to, you know, make a fortune. I just want to pay my bills, y'all. I'm a, I have a I have a job, a 20-year business that I've been running, and I have a teenage daughter that I am raising half-time, full-time, but she's with me half-time, and I have uh, bills and taxes and various other expenses. And um, anyway, you know, this is like my favorite thing ever to do, and I want to keep doing it for a very long time, and I would love to call this my job. So... Um, if you would like to be a patron for the arts, then, I, you know, this is one way you could do it. Just putting it out in the ring with all the other bazillions of things. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that in 2019. And I can't wait for another year. I'm really excited. This, is, uh, this has been quite an amazing experience so far. I'm really feeling uh, already like a different human being and I think I will continue to be shaped by this whole process it's really incredible so thank you for being here with me to see all the changes along the way uh, hopefully you'll still recognize me at the end Hope maybe you'll like me even better if you like me now that is um, all right well I love you so uh, thanks for listening thanks for uh, you know being an expression of consciousness. You're great, and don't you ever forget it. Talk to you later. Bye.